even before Hooks came out and before Context came out, a lot of people are like, you don't really need Redux. There's all those articles in the world. Why you don't need Redux? Yeah, those were all written by people who don't like Redux and don't want to use it. So AKA me. <laughs> or, or to be fair, some of them may fully understand how Redux works, but think it's too much boilerplate. That's true. Yes, also, so they, also me. <laughs> they could also have used it on a bunch of stuff and then said, you know what? It's just not for me. But I found that... Uh, again, me. you made a new friend after last week's show i did i did it's like a friend who like it's like a friend who comes on to tell you that you said something wrong though yeah he kind of well actually <laughs> yeah i don't even mean that in a mean way i mean he actually he actually did correct us so greg tell us about your new friend yeah so apparently uh dan abramov listened last week the and, homie the god yeah. and we recorded it like so let me let me start this off by saying <laughs> that you know, Greg is about to profusely apologize for something he does not need to profusely apologize for, but go ahead. No, 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 no. I mean, you say wrong things and it's fine and, uh, you know, things happen. But like, you know, if one thing that I've noticed after having a podcast and it's permeated in other parts of my life too, that you try to think more about what you're saying because it's being recorded, right? So then you think in like your regular life, you're like, you know, when you're giving like instructions to somebody or talking about something, you try to be like correct. But like a lot of the times you just say things like I know that, um, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy's on Cortex. What's his name? I don't know. I, my brain does not work. CGP. CGP always says, I think it's CGP always says that he doesn't ever listen back to episodes because that's like past gray. Yeah. He, it's, it's gray. He's like, it's past gray. And he has this like a whole bit where he's like, that's past Gray, and Gray just said some stuff, and that's not me anymore. I'm not the same person, you know? So he's, like, talking about, like, the dichotomy of, like, what you say in the past and also, like, the, the, the thought of just what is consciousness, and you're just, like, talking and talking and talking, but you don't actually know what you're talking about sometimes. Not to say that I didn't, like, know the subject of what I'm talking about, but it's, like, the actual words that come out of your mouth are very, like, snappy. There's a, there's a dichotomy between the things that are going on in your brain, which is... You can think of it as the CPU, right? You have L1, L2, and L3 caches, right? L1 is like the center of the cortex. That's where everything's happening. It's all extremely fast and it's extremely quick. And there's 10 bazillion things, like literally billions of things going on up there. L2 is one level removed from that. Still going pretty fast, but you can't quite form that into words that anybody else would understand. And then L3 is two layers removed from that. But in order to try to keep up, you start just spouting out a bunch of nonsense. So I've heard it described as the CVS receipt of your brain. It's just all the stuff is just coming out and you just can't stop it. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. But like the interesting thing is like when you, when you, uh, like when you're writing code, you think like, I'm going to think about like how I'm going to build X thing. And you kind of like brute force your way essentially into it working. And then you kind of have come out of that with some understanding of the pattern that you're working with. You don't always like grok something so well that you understand how to explain it. And I always find right. that interesting. It's not just related to this particular piece of feedback, but like, you know, you, you could very well know exactly what you, sh what you, what you believe, but then you say like something different. And then you add on to that, the fact that we recorded at like 10 PM last week. 
so late. It was very late. And like, I've been working like really hard and uh, my brain is not always working because I work like a whole day, you know, at work trying to build something and then come here and record. And then you just, your brain is dead, you know, but either way in explaining hooks last week, which was kind of like a impromptu topic because we got to, you know, sit at the restaurant or something one of these days and think of more topics. Or, yes, or true, get some true. feedback. People can suggest things they want to listen to, uh, or we're gonna have to like sit down and like start to. We when we first started this podcast, we sat down and we thought through the first ten episodes of the show, and then we've gotten to fifteen because like a couple of those in the middle around Christmas, we just kind of like, what's the word for it? We just kind of like, it's kind of winged it, winged it, yeah. And like those may not have been the best shows, but I don't know. It's kind of like having a balance between like talking about instructive type things where you're like trying to explain or like get through like a concept or like an idea about something or get your thoughts down about something versus just like talking and having fun and just talking about different things. But I think like one of the things about when a podcast gets more structured or more uh, like it's been around for longer, you start to get feedback. You kind of develop like a, a set of things that you talk about and you kind of land on like what the structure of each episode is. There's a little bit of feedback, which is cool. We have some this time. Yeah. A lot of times we don't. So we kind of just like think of a topic and start talking. But um, I don't know. I just find it interesting. It's like one of those things where you don't like intend to be like a podcaster or like think about things like, you know, like you just want to get together and talk about things. because We like have good chemistry talking about things. Often we argue a lot. We kind of try to hide that from the show. Well, yeah. Mostly. Yeah. I don't think it would make good audio, but like. You know, we're both like very opinionated and have kind of uh, interesting conversations about things, which is where we got the idea to do this. Um, but either way, I'm learning. Like, it's hard to like get on a podcast and talk about something and then act like maybe you actually know what you're talking about. Like, I do know a lot about development, but sometimes putting those thoughts into words is hard. Very hard. Words are hard. Words are hard. CSS so, is hard. Also, words are hard. With that said, it's not really like an apology. It's more of just like, I'm learning how to how to think about and structure what I say better. Um, but like, it's like, you know, you, you may know the concept or like what something is about, like what hooks is about, why they, why Facebook built it, what their goals are. Like you understand those concepts, but you know, you don't, you don't always implement them right away. A lot of the industry right now is trying to figure out like how do hooks settle in with like the old paradigms of how you built react. And a lot of people, and I say a lot of teams in general, are just trying to learn how to even use React for the first time because there's a lot of there's a lot of advanced teams that are using it, and then there's a lot of you know teams that want to use it or companies that want to use it, but a lot of people already have existing applications. Yeah, that transition is not instantaneous. That's something that I'm I'm dealing with at my job right now as well. A lot of the a lot of the front end architecture has been rebuilt in React, but it still has to interact with an app that is mostly angular. Oof. So there are kind of these layers. We actually have a meeting about this today. There are these layers that make it work, but it's not ideal. Uh, and we are going to have some planning meetings here going forward to try to figure out kind of for the rest of the year, how to get more react and less angular. Yeah. But it's like in your conversations there, I, you're probably not at this detail yet, but are you like determining whether or not you're going to use hooks or not? No, we've no, we haven't, haven't it's, gotten that far. It, you haven't even gotten that far. We're yeah, talking so about the most complicated thing we talk, talked about was Redux. Ooh. 
Which just love Redux. Redux in general. Like, oh, hey, we're using Redux. We would like to continue using Redux. Yeah. So that's going to be our topic today. Redux. Redux. We actually already talked about that earlier. Yes, that's what we're going to talk but about. Let, let, just to finish up the, the point. Yeah, I was going to read. I was going to read the feedback. So, anyways, and and to be fair, like, so Abramov responded to something about what we were talking about, and and we spent quite a lot of time last week talking about hooks, and like I had honestly not used hooks as much until this current project that I'm on. I understand the concept behind them, but I like fumbled and said that hooks were created to get rid of constructors. And I don't know why I even said that because it's not why they were built. It well, it's, was, kind of, it's kind of a joke. It's like one of the byproducts of it. I think yeah. I was joking, but it didn't come across that way. But like, yeah, like it, it is something that you can do. You can get rid of a constructor. You don't have to define state in that way, but that's not why they built it. They built it so you can reuse logic, which I said when I said it was a mix-in. You I talk s- really, to be fair, you talk really fast. I know. And I, you know, and I wasn't very structured and I didn't really plan and whatever. And I, I got to get better about that. If I'm going to, we're talking about it earlier when we were walking over here uh, from getting food that you kind of have to, if you're just like giving opinions or talking about things, that's one thing, that's your opinion. And you can have hot takes and you can create, you know, conversations on the internet about your opinions. But when you're trying to summarize like what somebody did and like you're trying to say like, this is what hooks are and try to act like authoritative about it, you probably should know what you're talking about. And I maybe didn't well enough. I mean, to be fair, we were literally reading from the docs. I know it was pretty apparent that we were just kind of looking at it. So either way, He's very nice. We had a little back and forth. He seems like a really nice person and it was fine. But he said, listening to the show, if I may offer a correction, avoiding the need to declare a constructor was not at all the motivation for hooks. The motivation was primarily allowing reuse of stateful logic with custom hooks and breaking apart complex components into smaller units. Which I think we said. We implied it. Kind of implied it. We said it. We didn't say it exactly like that. But anyhow, I don't think that's the important part. The important part is... Dan Abramoff listened to the show. That's yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. I was telling people other other developers about this over the weekend, and I I told it to them in a way that sounded like I felt like it was an accomplishment. And they also felt that as well. So yeah, I mean it's cool. I I think that one of the cool things about like we talk a lot about um, React, and it's not the only thing that you know we as developers use or support, but I think that it's you know it's it's pretty apparent that. We'll have an episode about Vue, but again, I have not used Vue since like 1.0, so I don't want to talk about it yet until I sit down, build something with it again, and kind of think about it, um, how it relates to React and have something more interesting to say. But um, it kind of is taking over or or really, really influencing web development right now. Yes. And this kind of leads into the discussion we're going to have about Redux, but it's like there's these there's these patterns that are built about around React. And in the past, we've talked a little bit about data jujitsu. And sooner or later, I'm going to formulate a conversation about animations, but I want to do a little bit more thought about it. Oh, man. But, you know, there's, there's certain things that the functional nature of React and the stateful re-rendering nature of React makes difficult to do. And I think this is a good transition to Redux in a second. But, like, there's, there's certain... The, the, the fundamental nature of how React... If you, especially with hooks, you ignore class components for a second because um, they're becoming, you know, they have their uses still for certain, certain reasons, but they're trying to make React more functional, I think is their goal. And part of it being functional programming is that you have reuse of logic through currying and through certain concepts that are in React in the sense of like hawks are essentially a curry function. You know, they're, they're accepting a component and returning something new you know, or wrapping something in a component by currying it with something else. The idea is that roughly, you know, there are some functional patterns that are there 
Um, you know, we, we, we. What do you mean by I guess? I mean it. That's that's a, a case where the fact that it's wrapped up in the render makes it not look like it's occurring, like it's different. The the render concept of it. This is this is the interesting thing about React is that React at its heart is just trying to be functional programming, and those concepts have existed for decades before web development was a thing, before CSS yeah, was a thing. Yeah, but they're applying it to... But they're applying it in a, very, a much more strict functional way that, than anything else has been before it. And so there are some places where web development still cannot be functional. Yeah, I would say that's fair. I mean, that's where Data Jiu-Jitsu comes from. That's, that's where, where some of the yep. animation... Which, I'm not going to talk at length about animation, but it's the same kind of issues as Data Jiu-Jitsu. Like, the only thing that can control in animation in a react component is the props or the state that it sets. So it's very easy to render something, render an animation that literally just tweens something like return a green sock component that doesn't re-render with should component update false and has a tween in it. Yeah. Like, if you're, if your animations fall outside of any of the predetermined lifecycle points, you're going to have a bad time. That's yeah. the gist of it. And they have, they have react transition group for certain things. Like you can do, you know, when a component mounts, have it render an animation and do stuff. But it's like just the fundamental nature of like a component is a black box that accepts props that can also set its own state. But the idea is that every component is a black box. It gets whatever's given to it and then it does something on its own. So like you start thinking about animations and you're like, well, someone might say like, well, let's just not re-render that component. React doesn't really do that very that, well. That's not you how get that it works. Prop, like it will, you know, it will re-render unless you use React.memo or something and you start, you know, really creating like a, a very complex should component update function or some kind of like check state situation. Are the props different situation to see if you re-render? Like you're going to have a bad time. So I don't know. I don't want to go into animations, but... That's a whole nother show. It's a whole nother show. But the whole point is like there's these patterns that they have in React and a lot of it is functional including hawks are in a way uh, currying in a way because you can pass two components to a hawk and have it merge them in a, in a wrapper component and like create something new or you can pass arguments to it. Map state to props is essentially I'm going to pass you these config values and you return me some data. Ooh, what's, what's that map state to props thing? What is well, that? We're getting into Redux. Where, is, where does that come from? What is Redux? What is, what is this? Re, re, well, re, that's, what I'm, and that's what I'm getting at. What's so, that like, come from? You know, you have before they created, and, and this is what's interesting about it. Like, just kind of go back to Dan and like what he's. See, I always, I always like say like what Dan. he's done. Yeah, we're best friends Dan. now. First name basis now. Uh, okay, I'm Mr. Abramov. What's going on, Dan? What's up? <laughs> what do you else get called? When Mr. Abramov, what he's done, what he did is he built Redux, right? So that's one of the first things that he did when he was very young. I don't know how he did it. He built the entire Redux library, and then he did that Egghead IO like seminal video where he kind of like walk through why you need it and he built it from scratch on the like 45 minute egghead i think it was did you watch that one like the original video the original video he like walked you through like how he would build redux from the ground up and why i did not see the whole thing i remember seeing parts of it but not the whole thing yeah i mean if it depends if you watch the whole thing but like he kind of walked through the whole thing and the whole idea behind it was that in react before you had react.create context and before you had any of these newer things like you know uh, use context hooks and use state hooks and all these things you had there has always been a context layer to react where you can you can pass data essentially down from the top of a tree 
and you can't really send it up unless you can set values on a context tree that comes down to you. So essentially they can permeate back down, but you can't tell like a parent component without returning something from the render or giving it something that then returns it through a callback. You can't give a parent component data from a child. Right. Also sibling, sibling components, sibling components too. So the way you get around that, let's ignore context at all. And just say like, if I just had, a search box and a result box that were living in a parent component, the way that you would do that is either the parent component would define the on search and would make the API call in its component did update or something. Whenever it got a new prop, it would go get data and then set it in the parent component. And then it would give the search result as a control component to the search box and it would give the results to the result view. Like you could do it that way. The other way you can do it is you can make it so that I don't know if why you would do it this way, but you can make it so that the results component is given a function callback that it gets that is actually the submit of the search box. So like the child component could, I guess actually you'd still have to get it from the top. So the parent component would have to control the data for both of them. Yeah, the for the, but yeah you'd have to do it at the parent level yeah. regardless of what you're doing. That, that therein lies the problem. So the other thing you can do, I guess the other way you could do it is with context, you could technically say that the search box is the parent component and the results box is the child component of the search. But then you're like two one-to-one. They're not disassociated. They're not next to each other. They're a parent-child relationship. Oh, well. So the search box could be the search input, get the data, go make the API request, and then bubble down the results to the results view. That's another crude way of doing it. Yeah. But the whole point is like the best way to do it is to not do any of that at all and use context. So you create a context between the two of them that holds the data and holds the result and the search parameter and whatever, and then both of them can bind to the context and you can say, you know, when the search box changes its search result, it sets the value on the context. And then that context can go make the data request and then give that result to the child. But through the context, they're not actually parents of the same component. No, they're not related to each other. The idea behind context is that you're managing state that both of these components need, but you are independent of their relationship. So typically you can only pass whatever it is down from parent to a child. But if you need to escape from that one, one directional thing, then that's where the context comes in. Yeah. And the idea behind that with react with Redux is that what you behind the hood of react, whenever you create a new component, you have props and you have this thing called context. The context is this, contextual information that's passed from parent to child to parent to child to parent to child behind the hood in React by default. If you don't override the constructor of a class component, there is one in the default React.component. And that signature of that method is constructor, props, context, super, prop, well, not super because that's the parent. It basically says this dot, uh, it does something with the props to make it re-render. There's some hidden juju back there. And then it basically passes the context through to any child that it renders. There's some magic behind the hood that does that. Right. But that goes down the whole tree from the very top component. Like which, the app component. The app component to your router to whatever, to whatever, whatever. We're all the way down to every component that context is always there. Now, but that's why like very really early on, before they created React.CreateContext, the common knowledge was not to use context because it was experimental. Also, there weren't that many... <laughs> There weren't specific ways to access and manipulate the context. Yeah, you had to create patterns. You had to you had to write your own patterns for that, which it 
as you can imagine, can kind of be a mess. It can be. Because if everybody's doing their own thing, if you write it in a pattern that's brittle and you add new components later on, it, it can it can get real spaghetti real fast. So yeah. that was it's a good thing that they told people not to do that. So that's where Redux kind of came in. Ooh. So Mr. Abramov, back in the day. <laughs> Dan the homie, what's up? Dan the homie decided uh, that it was a good idea to use context, but in a very, very prescribed way. So he created this pattern. Well, there was multiple parts to Redux. There's the actions, there's reducers. The whole idea is that everything is stored inside of a shared state, a global state. Global state. That is attached to the context. Yes. At a very high level in your application, probably... All the, all the way up. All the way at your app or right before your router or at your router level. It's very high up. So that every component that's created from your application from the top down is underneath that, that context. And that context is a special context. It, it, I think it very well might be. It's just an API around the context that's very clean. Yeah, it actually builds out all the ways to interact with the context that didn't exist before. Yeah. And at that top level, so the key, the key idea of it is that there's global state that's stored in context. There's actions that can create events that can change the state that's in that context. Yes. Through reducers. Yes. And reducers essentially allow you to control snippets of context, snippets of the state in the context that can be sliced and marshaled and manipulated at different keys within that state. So you can say it's got a very, using regular ES6 and spread operators and array concatenation and all these things, you can essentially slice and dice and replace or change certain keys of an object but preserve the previous values and you can also reset it back to an initial state which is where we see in reducers they're always initialized to an initial state and all a reducer is is a function that takes a new set of state and it inside of an action and then essentially figures out what action it is what is the state and then it slices and dices the state and the key is as we talked about last week that state has to be immutable it has to return a new value that is not a slice of the original. Well, it is a slice of the original, but it's always concatenated into a new object or a new array. Yes. So you're always doing like object.assign or, well, you would do that if you didn't have spread operators, but most of the time you just do dot, 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 state, dot, 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 new value. Yeah. And then you return that. So the actions are essentially any kind of function that can manipulate that state in some way. And... They don't have to actually be, they, they technically, actions don't really have to manipulate the state, but then... What's the point of the action no if you're point. not doing that? Yeah, there's kind of no point. So going into that, what does an action take? An action is essentially, well, what is an action? What does it end up being? And I'll talk about the way that you define all this in your component in a second, but what an action actually is, is it's just a function. You call that function, you can optionally pass arguments to it, and then within the action itself, the definition of the action, it returns an object that this concept in Redux called a dispatcher, the dispatch function, understands that when you're inside of an action, you're going to return an object that has two, well, at least one key called type. And that is the type of the action. The other key can be called, the other keys can be called anything. It can be whatever you want. Traditionally, it's payload. Yeah. So you'll have type and payload. And payload will be an object or an array or some new set of data that you can get from an API that you can asynchronously get. You can set directly. You can do whatever you want. But the idea is that whenever an action is triggered, 
there's a unique immutable state change and there's a unique action that are triggered. So, so far, all of this makes a lot of sense because those two pieces, to go back to last week's talk, the actions and the reducers are actually something that's in hooks. Yes. So use state is essentially, uh, their use state hook is essentially a micro version of a single value that could be set and manipulated without a reducer. And then use reducer is an actual reducer and use context is the same thing as the global context. So that's what I was saying last week. If you wanted to, you could create a mini version of Redux just by creating a parent data component that has a use reducer and has a context, well, is a context provider and has actions. Yeah, so we did this backwards, guys. Sure. We talked about hooks first. Well, you we know, talked about use reducer first. We talked about how we're not perfect, Albert. We talked about nice. we talked about our best friend Dan. Yeah. And now we're talking about Redux. It's like the prequel. Yeah. So all of those concepts make perfect sense. And if you ignore the boilerplate of how you define data and, and actions inside of Redux, the whole idea is that you can take one of those actions and you can import them into a component, bind them in a special way that a lot of people think is, some people think is a lot of boilerplate. But you very prescriptively define that action to go into that component. I mean, it is a lot of boilerplate. You ever yeah. seen what a connect function looks like? It's gross. It can, it, do, it doesn't have to It's got way to too be. many parentheses. It doesn't have to be. It's got too many parentheses. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get there. We're not too there many. yet. We're not going to talk Just about, we're not going to talk about how it's defined yet. We're going to talk about what it is. Okay. So essentially, you have a bunch of actions and the actions will directly correlate theoretically to one reducer. One in a reduct, like a reducer itself is one key in the context. Yes. So a good example would be, I don't know, what's the most traditional example? I guess a timer. I hate using timers, but a timer. It's the, so <laughs> that's the only example that hits sure. all the boxes. So the timer would be the reducer, the piece of state would be the timer in the timer's state, like what, or the ca- a counter rather. It would be counter. Yeah. Not a timer. A That's counter. what you meant. That's what I meant to Words say. Words are hard. Words are hard. Brains are hard. Counter. So what's inside of the state would be the current count. And what's inside of the action is a way to increment or decrement the counter. So the type of actions you can trigger are type increment and type decrement. So inside of the reducer, you would do things like, you know, determine if the counter can go negative. That could be something that's in the reducer in the logic. It says, if the decrement action is triggered, take the previous state minus one from it. No matter what. No matter what. Or you can put in something Or you else can say, it's well, if function. it's zero, make it st- stay at zero. Yeah. If it, need, if it can go negative, make it go negative. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. That's where that kind of logic would be, uh, would be inside of the reducer itself. But the action would literally just be, I trigger this function called increment, and it literally increments the value, plus calls one. a reducer with plus one, decrement, decrements it by one, or has the optional, can only go to zero, whatever. Um, but how that, that increment and decrement action and the actual value of it, the state of the counter, can be used anywhere in your application. So it doesn't have to be like adjacent nodes having the plus, 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 and minus, minus, minus form, essentially, decrementing the value and the number above it. It doesn't have, they don't have to be next to each other. You no. can have the increment and decrement buttons. You can have 5,000 of them 
And they'll always decrement and increment the same state unless you create another instance of the reducer, the counter, like another counter. Right. So multiple stopwatches like lap times and overall times. Yeah. Think of it that way. So the the idea is that you can take that increment action. You could even call that increment action, say, in a set timeout or set interval. And you can just have this thing count. I don't know why you'd want to do this, but you could have it counting up one every one thousand every one second with one thousand milliseconds, and it can say increment, increment, increment. And it'll just keep going up. And then you could be fighting it with a down arrow. And it'll be subtracting and adding every second. You know, you could do that if you wanted to. And you Sounds like a game. Sounds like a game. Sounds like an iOS game. Sounds like a dope game. So, so yeah, much money. you can do that. And the other thing that Redux can do that's really cool, if we just keep talking about the cool things it can do, um, is that you can have the state value that's in that context rendered in multiple places with only one control. You can yes. do it the other way where you have multiple controls and one way to view the state. You can have many different ways to view the state and many different ways to change it. But the whole point is, is that that action is now reusable. You can put it anywhere in your component, anywhere in your app. So if your app is like, say it's a news app and you had swipe down to get new articles and you also had a refresh button to get new articles, that functionality can be shared through the action. But it's not quite as cool as hooks, theoretically, because you can't share the actual, um, you can't also easily share the, client portion of it because redux i would consider kind of like it's like a little mini api layer for you yes it's a little mini backend it's like a little mini backend in your client so you can you you can't as easily without creating like a reusable component you can't as easily share the actual markup of the plus and minus of the buttons and the view yeah, of it but that's not the point of redux though the redux is literally just the data itself well the whole point of react is that you can share that component so the React part of it depends on your app. If you have an app that lends itself to having a shareable, reusable component with the re- with your Redux store, then yeah, that makes perfect sense. But not every app is going to do that. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying like the whole idea of sharing and maintaining UI features is the purpose of React. Sharing and maintaining reusable and shareable state is the purpose of Redux. So they're kind of like separate entities. But then if you think about hooks they're one and the same in a way. React is now the thing that's operating like Redux using the hooks. React.useReducer is a React function that essentially has a small version of the functionality that Redux had in a reducer as part of React. So React is gaining more powers, essentially. Relying less on Redux. Relying less on things like Redux. But if you think, you know, before hooks and before context and before a lot of things that, you know, have been added, I would say since... Dan joined the Facebook team. Dan the homie. <laughs> Dan the homie. Uh, you you had to have something to kind of bring these features in. And, and Facebook did have their own state management system. They had Flux. Um, so they had a pattern that would work that they used internally. But it's not the only pattern. And it wasn't directly related to React. It was a separate pattern that worked well with the prop-based functional re-rendering situation that React is. But it wasn't like... It wasn't like you download React, you also get Flux. They were two different things. Yeah, there were were separate packages. Yeah, so what Redux is, is it's the simpler concept to think about structuring and control. It's more like, I I wouldn't say that it's actually simple to think about it. It's just more that it's a pattern that allows you to not screw up with data on your front end. It's a structure and a pattern that exists. It's a structure and a pattern. No, and I would say that like, say MobX is simpler than Redux. 
but MobX is only observables. So it's only like a value that you can set something. It has actions, don't get me wrong. And it has, you can create a reducer in it when you're setting the value through the action, but you can, you can essentially create some of the functionality of Redux with reducers, etc. in MobX, but MobX is so simple, it's literally just, it's essentially the same kind of idea as context and React, but globally. It's, it has, it's interesting because I've been working on a project recently uh, where we're using MobX and hooks and you start to look at it and you're like, okay, well, I'm creating this MobX store to store some data, but, I'm, but I have React right there with use context and I could have just done that. You could have just used that. Could have just used that. I could have created a component that was a data wrapping component that had a use context itself and then whenever data was pulled or written to the context, I could have saved it to local storage and I don't need... Uh, you know, re, uh, MobX is hydrate from store, from session, or hydrate from local storage, or anything like that. So I don't know. The whole point I'm trying to get at, I don't want to like derail it with MobX, but the point is, is that there's a lot of patterns that React now supports itself in hooks that didn't exist before things like MobX and Redux in a very uh, usable and popular way. Yeah, and that's what Redux and things like MobX provided. Um. So, but there's a lot of those things that you can now do with hooks. Yeah, it's a it's a nice little relationship because the popularity of React necessitated the popularity of Redux, right? Mm-hmm. React re- begets Redux. The complexity of Redux necessitated the advancement of stuff like hooks and stuff like the built-in functionality to make things that Redux does easier in React by itself. So... I think it's been interesting to watch those things evolve over time. Yeah. I'm glad that Dan the homie is helping us out and making making React a lot easier to use. Yeah. To to do all the things that Redux does. So I've been enjoying it. I, I am not the biggest fan of Redux just because of the boilerplate and also some of the... When you're first learning it, and trying to pick up the logic of how all those things are related to each other when really your goal in trying to figure it out is, I just want a global store that I can manipulate. And Redux is like, oh, well, let me tell you about all these things. I've got these things called actions and reducers and da 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 And it's a little bit tricky to, to pick up. I guess the learning curve is a little bit higher than I would like it to be. But mm-hmm. it does what it does very well, though. I would look at like the lineage of um, Redux and MobX because... I'm pretty sure if I remember back, because I didn't, I knew about MobX, but I didn't use it because I I do like I don't mind the 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 boilerplatey nature of Redux because I've built some pretty crazy applications and seen the power that it gives you and the structure that it gives you. But yeah, the the more complicated your reducers are, the more complicated your logic is going to be, and sometimes it's obtuse. It's not easy to understand. Yeah, I think that's one of the the upsides to Redux is that Redux is the one setup that actually handles the complex stuff very well, mm-hmm. right? Like you were saying, we're using that on a on a bigger, more complex type of application. Something like MobX is not going to work for you. Something like you know, if you're just kind of doing homegrown like. I would call them utility components, right? If you're building your API calls into just a component by itself and you're trying to manage it that way, that's going to fall apart really fast as you scale up in your app. So if you have a really big app that's really complex, then you almost don't have a choice other than to go with Redux. Well, you can you can do it with with MobX. The thing I would say is that you kind of have to you kind of have to um, 
you have to think about like, what is Mobax actually doing? It's essentially creating a value in a store that is a con- that is stored in the context that is global and has a provider and has all the things that Redux does. But it's literally just a value. So you're saying, I'm going to create this essentially this class. It's a, it's a store that you define with either annotations or by using decoration. And you say like, these keys of this class are observable. And then it kind of internally knows that if you create like a counter and you have a value called count and you say, you know, um, you say like this thing has either an ESX class property called count or it has a constructor with this dot count equals. And then you, you annotate it with add observable or you decorate it by saying decorate. There's a way, there's a way to do it. You can look it up in MobX. But you essentially believe in annotations, which isn't really a thing that JavaScript supports. It's part of like one of those crazy S7, you know, babelified life choices that you make. <laughs> but you can do that or you can decorate it, which is literally just wrapping it in a function like connect that essentially annotates and understands what each class is. But the point is, MobX has actions that can manipulate the state value and they have state values that are stored on this global store inside of these individual stores. But what does that sound a lot like? It sounds a whole lot like use context and a whole lot like use state and a whole lot like the actions that you can get out of a context. I I was also going to say it sounds a whole lot like Vuex as well, but... Yeah, I haven't... So I want to talk about Vuex later. I haven't really used uh, Vuex. I have used Vue, but not Vuex. But yeah, I mean, it's the same idea. You have this observable, reactable object that can be manipulated just by saying... The thing that I, that's interesting about MobX is it completely ignores the concept of immutability in that what they return to you when you use the, the store, you say like root store dot... And I've only used... Um, MobX with hooks. So I haven't used it before with... I haven't used it the traditional way. I'm using this new library, MobX Light Hooks or something. I don't know, something one of my hipster devs chose. Um, the, new, the new hotness. It's like a new hotness. But like the thing that makes it really interesting is the more that you use hooks and this new hotness with MobX, you're like, that looks a whole lot like hooks. Yeah, hooks are dope. Like what are we using it for? It's the same thing as a context provider. It's just there's other things that... MobX adds on top of a context provider like the ability to hydrate from a session, hydrate from local storage. If you were going to do that yourself, you'd have to write a context providing component that you would have to wrap up. And whenever the, like I was saying earlier, whenever you set a value to set a, when you sit, you call the function to set a value on the context, um, you have to actually intercept that value or in that write method that's setting the value you'd have to push it to local storage and then read it from it when it reads back. And you got to control that yourself. Well, MomX has that abstracted into a thing called hydrate from storage or hydrate from local storage or whatever. Hydrate, I think it is. That's built into MomX? Uh, yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the things that are built into it. But I, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me, because I mean, I'm just hipsters be setting no. stuff up and then, you know, Greg no. uses it. I'm sure whoever runs MomX will tweet at you. I'm sure this is where we're on. The, you'll make new friends on Twitter. Yeah, we're on the next one. You know, we will have uh, them tweet us and say, you were wrong about how we use MobX. But it's like, I don't know. I just use stuff. Okay. So I just work with things. But either way, that's one of the things MobX does. But the one thing I was saying about immutability is that it when you bind to the root store dot counter store, and then what it returns to you, you can destructure off of that, kind of like you do with hooks, the value and any actions that you've defined. You have to specifically annotate the action as an action, but it'll return it as a function. Yes. And it'll make it, it'll make it observable in an action, essentially. 
it's not observable, but it'll make an action out of it. And observability is essentially just the reactability of, it uses observables, which is the concept that didn't, didn't just come about with React's state. It's like a, it's a concept in programming that was available during, um, is this one of your job things? No, no. Well, yeah, but I mean, observables is a, observables are a concept that you have a value in memory that whenever it changes a functions trigger that tells you it changed. So it's like a reactive way of looking it's like at it. like a what was that? Uh, pub sub. Yeah, kind of. What was that library that... It Radio? Wasn't, no. <laughs> Not like an actual pub sub event, but like there was that uh, framework that was popular, probably still is popular, but it was popular right after Backbone, but before Angular. I think in either Ember or Knockout. Ember. Ember. Well, Knockout was the first one that was observable, that was, they would call reactable. And then I think Ember was the one that made it really popular. Ember's still around. Yeah, it's really popular. It's a whole thing. Shout but like, out to our Ember users. Yeah, but Knockout was the first one that took this concept of values that can be watched. But I think it was doing it with a pub subby type way of doing it. I think it. Handlebars was doing it too. I think Handlebars had a thing where you could do it out of the box with it. But it was that was just the templating part. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but the the idea of like observability of a value and watching a value change is not something that's specific to javascript or front and it's a con it's like a, it's a concept observability is a concept i th- i think it's been around forever i, I mean know. angular is is probably the one angular is the one that made it really popular that yeah. made it really big ember and angular made it really popular but yeah the idea is that when that value changes you know because you don't have to like pull it you don't have to check you don't have to check is it new is it fresh is it hot it yeah. just comes to you and says i'm hot i'm ready yeah that's the idea behind react is that react is perfect for that kind of pattern for various reasons, like the whole diffing reconciliation state where it figures out if things have actually changed and needs to re-render, that's what gives it the speed. But the whole idea that React is a functional prop-based, you give me props and I know I'll render if there's a difference in the state, or well, in reality, I'll render either way. Um, it'll render either way in memory, but it won't always write to the DOM, and that's what makes it fast. It won't it paint, fast. yeah. It won't paint, that's what makes it fast. But either way... That whole concept of renderability is perfect for observability because if something is observable and it changes, you can say, well, this component should either be wrapped in a um, context provider or in a render prop method or something that basically says, whenever this value changes, I'm going to re-render. So what I was getting at that went on this long-winded walk around it is that the idea of some of the kind of things that you run into with MobX that you don't run into with Redux that I've seen, from my opinion, fully, you know, point this out, this is just my opinion, is that with, uh, with MobX, you run into kind of issues where you have to abstract your components one layer away from what they are. So you have to start creating like root components that get data and then you have to use things like react.memo to stop them from rendering too much, which you have to do with Redux too, but just the pattern and all of that extra boilerplate that Redux adds for map state to props and map dispatch to props where you get actions and state into actions and context and state into the component. It's just that pattern, I think, cleans it up a little bit. Whereas like MobX kind of like is simpler, but it just, there's, there isn't like, as far as I know, this is what I'm going to say like with a grain of salt, like, it isn't as it isn't as advanced as by probably by design. It isn't yeah. as advanced as Redux. It's probably designed to be simpler. I mean, it came out first, and it it 
was designed specifically just to handle the state problem. Did MobX come out before Redux or did Redux I think come? MobX was first. Let me check. Let's look. We don't want to be wrong on the internet, guys. Watch out for that. <laughs> yeah, out. so I don't know. But the, the whole the whole idea that I'm getting at is that these both of these things were built to help control and maintain state around components and provide an API for the reactability of, of observable values, like observable state, essentially. Because Redux does the same thing. When a state value changes, it triggers the render loop of the component, and then any state that is mapped to a component through map state to props gets re-rendered. So, I don't know. Both of these libraries are great. Um, so is the stuff that's built into React. All three of these are ways of getting state to be managed in a more clean way in React Compose. What's your answer? It makes sense. Uh, there's, there's a lot. They're, they've yeah, had a lot of changes. Hold on. We're, we're still scrolling here. There's a lot of things. Um, so I don't know. Those, those are my things. And, and the other really cool thing that Redux adds um, that is, is pretty well known, but a lot of people don't really mess, mess with it, is middleware. So Redux... Oh, man, not the middleware. Yeah. So Redux has the ability, while, a, while an action is being triggered, it runs through a set of middleware very similar to like Express does where when Express gets a lifecycle event which expresses the the API the pretty common API for node um, when Express gets an like an actual handler gets called from like an API request it goes through a set of middleware that you can trigger and you can say like before the actual router even deals with this value I want it to go through these steps of middleware and the common ones are like cores and changing headers and you know you can do all kinds of stuff right with redux you can do the same idea so like redux's plugins for local storage are essentially just middleware so redux local storage is a middleware provider for redux so many middlewares so many middlewares there's so much stuff that goes involved in the middle i think i might have more of a problem with the middleware stuff than i do with say like map dispatch to whatever because so the, it's yeah. stuff that you have to deal with setting up and make sure it works, but you don't really fiddle with it. It doesn't really yeah, it, give you a whole lot. If, if you screw up setting up your middleware or you do something in the wrong order or you don't use enhance, or, um, compose or something correctly or whatever inside of your store, it will error out in weird ways and you won't know why. You're going to have a bad time. Yeah. But, you know, when you do set it up correctly, like I, I know that, so from my experience, the two most complicated things with Redux besides data jujitsu, which you have that problem too, um, the most complicated things or the most tedious things with Redux are in order, I would say, the most tedious is just the boilerplate. Setting up the types, setting up the actions. Like if you want to add a new action to a reducer, to like a, a piece of state, you have to set up the action. You have to write the function. Well, if you don't already have the action, you have to create the action. If you need to store a completely new set of value, you have to create the reducer. You have to make sure you bind those correctly. You have to then set up the types that get triggered by the individual actions and how they manipulate the, redu the reducer. Then you have to figure out what components you want that state to go into by going into the definition of the component and changing the map state to props, maps dispatch to props situations to both set the value and read the value. So it's like a lot of extra... There's a lot of steps to do like one is. thing. And if you mess up any of those, like say for instance, you don't... Uh, you don't return the the action correctly. You don't return the action to dispatch correctly. 
you'll just not have an event trigger. You know, you'll be like, I want to do something. And then you're like, okay, well, I, I think I'm returning a type of increment and it never increments. Yeah, you just you just come up empty. It doesn't even give doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. Or if you, if you screw up setting up your reducer, the action could get triggered, but then your state gets erased because you somehow just return initial state dot count. Again, no error messages. Well, where it's did, doing what my, it's supposed to my, do. Where did my it, state go? It did what you told it to do. It did what you told it to do. That's the thing. That's all. So it's like there's not a lot of like handlebars. It's like you have to kind of, you have to know what you're doing. But when you set it up correctly, like it could do some really amazing things and it can separate your app out in very, it can provide patterns and structures for you to use that really do clean up your code. But then, you know, you get into these arguments with your coworkers, like even before hooks came out and before context came out, a lot of people are like, you don't really need Redux. There's all those articles in the world. Why you don't need Redux? Yeah, those were all written by people who don't like Redux and don't want to use it. So, aka me. <laughs> or, or to be fair, some of them may fully understand how Redux works, but think it's too much boilerplate. That's true. Yes, also, so they, also me. <laughs> they could also have used it on a bunch of stuff and then said, you know what? It's just not for me. But I found that... I, again... Me. Uh-huh. You're a hater. I know. In real life. I've used Redux a lot. And I've used it on a bunch of smaller things. I've used it on a bunch of big things. Uh, I think that if you know how to set it up and you understand what it's doing and you kind of work around some of the... Boil- There's ways to make the boilerplate look prettier, but it ends up becoming more obtuse. Yes. So the most... So we didn't really talk about it, what it, what you have to do in the component itself to get it to get those actions and those state values. So there is a library called Reda, uh, React Redux. So Redux itself does not require React. That's no. You can use there's even um, Vuedux. There's Vuedux. Yeah. There was a library called Vuedux that ties the actual Redux library, not like an implementation of it or a copy of it, like literally Redux into Vue. Yeah. Because the thing that binds it to React is a set of functions that are inside of React Redux. Some of those functions are things like, there's this thing called map state to props. Yep. There's this thing called map dispatch to props. Dispatch is pretty easy. You import the action directly from the actions file, which is one of the things that I think is a little weird about Redux uh, or hard to understand is that you have to define the action, which triggers the reducer, but you have to import the action into your component. You can't just pass it from the Redux context. It doesn't just magically know what the function is. You have to import the function, the action. That's probably better, though. I don't know. This is the libraries where it just gives it's, it to you. Well, specificity. Well, like uh, even that project that we did recently that was really big, uh, I wrote something that was similar to the paradigms of Redux with the reducers and everything, but it actually gave you the actions through the state. Give you all the actions? Yeah, and that's one of the disadvantages. That's why you want map state to re- you want map dispatch to props because it would give you all the actions of that store. That's true. And you would just be given to you in the props of the component. That's true. Yeah, that part, that, doing it that way would make it a lot easier. It would, but there's a reason why it doesn't. Because you don't always want all the actions on a component. You only want the ones you want. No, you don't want to give yourself an opportunity to screw yourself up. Yeah, so he, he essentially gives you the map dispatch to props function as a way to import an action from the actions file and then specifically bind it to your component through map dispatch to props. But one of the arguments I think that some people I've heard say is, well, why do I have to define what function my component gets directly in the component? Why can't Redux just give it to me? Why do I have to define this extra step? Redux is not your friend. You don't care about, it doesn't care about your feelings. <laughs> you have to tell exactly what to do. 
No, I don't, I don't think that's it. Just to defend it. it it's not that <laughs> I know you're just kidding, but like, it's not. And that the reason why I want to clarify this, because that is actually an argument people use is that it's not necessarily prescribing to you that you have to do this. It's leaving it open-ended intentionally. Yes, so this is true. Yes. It is designed to be open-ended so that you can use it how you want to because it's not overly... It is prescriptive in how there's actions, there's reducers, it's immutable. There's all these things that are very core concepts to it, but that is mainly so that it, it works correctly and it's it's predictable and testable. You know, that's it's why... Just, it's not opinionated. It's not... Well, I would say it is kind of opinionated, but it's not like... It's not overly prescriptive. It doesn't tell it you specifically opinion. how to write your actions. Yeah, it just says it actions just says are return a thing. A, just return a dispatch. That's yeah, that's it. it. Return a, so return something a dispatch can do something with. That's it. You can do it however you want to. And then there's things like uh, Redux uh, async. I think oh, there's a lot. I don't remember what the libraries cause. I haven't used it in a while because I always use Redux thunk, which is the same kind of idea. Middleware. It's another middleware that allows you to do asynchronous actions, and you can use async await with Redux thunk to make very pretty actions. Yes, that's actually very super super duper helpful. But one of the things that Redux Thunk does that kind of goes against one of the core principles of Redux is that you can return multiple actions from the same or multiple um, state changes from the same action, which you're not oh. really supposed to do. Yeah, I don't. Ooh. So you can say, but it, in reality, it's something you do a lot. So you're making, say an action is to get data, right? One of the first things you might do is you return a function, which is what Thunk does. It gives you back the dispatch function. So it plucks the dispatch off the middleware right, and then let you use it directly. So then you say, dispatch this, this object. And that object might be, hey, I'm requesting data. So then your component knows that it's, it's like showing you a loading animation, I'm requesting data. And then it's an async await function that you say, you know, go get data by saying, you know, await uh, whatever your API is or directly using fetch or Axios or whatever. You're like, go get me the data. And then when Axios promise resolves or the await resolves, then you can say dispatch another event that says, you know, I'm done loading data and here's the payload of data. But you just triggered two actions <clears throat> to, to um, <clears throat> yeah, you're triggering two state changes from the same action. It's not good. Well, it works, but you know, you have to understand what you're doing. Until it doesn't. Uh, That's one of those things that is super duper convenient and helpful and nice. And then it explodes in your face. Yeah, sometimes. Like one of the one of the disadvantages to that getting into data jujitsu territory is that, you know, when you dispatch the action that says I'm loading data, every component that's bound to that state will re-render. Every single one of them. If you have 40 components bound to the not even not even the actual action of triggering the data, just the reaction to the data being changed, the minute that you say, I'm loading data, all of those components just re-rendered. Yep. All the, and it depends on how high in the tree you bind the action and the state to the component. Because if you put it too high in your component or too high in a certain leaf node, it ends up re-rendering the whole leaf. And that could be like an entire form. Yeah. It could be an entire form of formic. Inside of your other... Inside routes. of your other component. And you don't even know because you're like up at the top at the route level. Someone, you know, one level below the route, they're binding to some state because they need to show like a, you know, is authenticated state in the nav. And your whole app re-renders because it's authenticated as true. You know, crap like that. So either way, you know, there's that. So there's, to go finish the convo thought, there's map dispatch to props that basically takes those actions and makes them usable in components. And the way that it does that is map dispatch to props. One of the things that I did early on with Redux that I think is really enlightening is go look at Connect. Look at the, look <sighs> at the actual source code of Connect. 
It is a functional piece of beauty. I'm telling you, man. It, why does it need all the parentheses? Because it's returning an it, it's but currying. Why? It's returning a function to why? you that you pass a function why to. The parentheses? Because you It gives me like it gives me like the OCD shakes. I'm just like those parentheses are not supposed to be there. Oh my god, what's happening? So compose is literally you pass it a function and then it uses your function inside of a function and passes you back a result. Yeah, but you're not writing it that way. You don't have parentheses on the end of parentheses inside of parentheses. Just trust it's, me. It's just the syntax. You of it. I'm making it a joke, weird. but it looks it looks so weird. It's triggering. You think, that's what that's how bad it is. You think it looks weird. Go look at the source code. You'll see why. It is pretty smart. But either way, the whole point of map dismatch to props is that you take these functional these functions that you can do to change the state. Redux internally knows that those are dispatch dispatching things. Like they actually have to return an instance of dispatch or a, a use of dispatch. Otherwise they'll crash when they get called. And or they'll just do nothing if they don't return dispatch. But whatever. It it, it they they internally call dispatch or return something directly. But either way, those things become props on your component. But they're named exactly what they're named on the import, which is one of the reasons why they're not given to you because of collisions. Yes. So collisions come into key when you talk about the next one. But for now, you take the action. It's called get data. Say one store has a get data and another one has a get data. You have to rename it when you import it. Imports get data as get some, cat's data. Some other data. And then, you, and then that's what it's called in the component. So you start changing names of things. But either way, collisions. That's why you import it yourself because you need to control the collisions. If two functions have the same name and they're passed into the component of props, the second one always wins. So you lose one of them. So that's what map state to props is, which is one of the key, key, key things is that there's a bunch of different keys on the, glo- on the actual global state and you destructure. Typically why it looks so weird is because you're doing a lot of functional destructuring and stuff. So the map dispatch to props looks awkward because you're taking, it gives you the state it's a function that gets called. Your map dispatch to props is, a, is by definition a function. Redux calls that with the current state every time the state changes. Typically, you destructure off a value that you care about in your component. Say it's the counter. So you do bracket, bracket, counter in the middle. And then on the other side of it is another function, which looks really weird, that you're using the value that you just, just destructured, and you can change the name of the value when you return it to your component which is the key reason why it's so weird. Yeah, yeah, I So you can it. rename it. So if you have two... You can rename it. If you have two pieces of the global state, count, say you have like locations and candidates for like an API app, you can have... Both of them can have a key called data, but when you destructure the value for locations and candidates, you can rename if you're just passing data to your component, which, I don't know, sometimes you'll wrap the envelope with like other meta values like error and success and I don't know, whatever, but then one of them is data usually. You can pass just the data to your component, but you can rename it as candidates cats. or locations or cats or whatever you want. Faces. But that's the key reason why map state to props exists. It's a function that they call, that Redux calls with this current state that you destructure off values. And then on the other side of the, and it's an arrow function to another function that you, that is then called by your component to then map those state values to properties with different names to avoid collisions. So it's pretty dope. It's pretty dope. 
Okay, fine. It's dope. It's still it is pretty it's still dope. really weird looking syntax. We at least admit that it looks weird. It looks it, very strange. It does, but I, that's one of the things that I would say to the youngins. If you're going to use something, look at the source code. Because if not all of the source code, like I'm not going to say that I know how all the code in Redux, but I definitely understand why the method signatures of those three functions are the way they are. And they're pretty dope. Okay, I will find a lazy Sunday afternoon where I have literally nothing else to do and yeah. dive into the source code of Connect. Yeah, all right, all right, let's take cool. bets. What came out first, MobX or Redux? They're pretty close. They're really close. If I if I'm gonna go with my memory, I think that I think that MobX came out first. MobX's zero zero one release was March twenty second, two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Redux June second, two thousand fifteen. So they were ahead by like three months. MobX was first? By like not even yeah. three months, two and a half months. Yeah, and who knows what it was like in the original version versus now. But yeah, I do remember that it came out first and I avoided it when I was at that time was what? And how many years? Those four years ago, I, three or four years ago, I avoided it because of observables and the annotations and I didn't want to deal with it. And then I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, one of the tech directors that I was working with at the time that long ago wanted me to use Redux for something. So I just learned it. And then once I learned it, I love it. But, you know, arguably, you can get away with doing a lot of the things that you... One of the big arguments of, of like, Redux versus not Redux back in the day was, like, you don't need global state to store this value. Like, one of the, one of the key ones was you don't need global state to store form values with Redux form. No. But if you've, if you've ever used Redux form, it's a really damn good library. It's got a lot of stuff. It makes forms really easy to use. Now we have Formic. Guess what Formic's based on? React context. Oh, man. So it's like, yeah. Like, you know, you have Formic was designed by Jerry Palmer, I believe. You can do another one where I put words into why he created it. I'm pretty sure I remember reading on early on that he created it to be a simpler version of Redux form. Jared, let us know. We love Formic. We use it all the time. Sure. Tell Greg that he's wrong on the I'm internet. I'm sure he'll tell me and I'll be wrong, but I love Formic and I love Redux form. Uh, it just depends what I'm doing, but... Typically, even now, even if I use Redux or something, I still use Formic because Formic is really dope. Formic is pretty good. It gives you a lot of the options and it gives you a really good way of handling your form data no matter what. It, it, it's, it gives you enough flexibility to deal with all different kinds of form scenarios, yeah. which is the main reason why. I know that's why you've used it quite a bit because we've had very complex form scenarios that we've had to use that on. Yeah. So that's, that's things- a good library. We like it. One of the things that Formic does that uh, is challenging at first is that it doesn't, since it doesn't store by design, just to be clear, by design, it does not store its state in a global store that you can access outside of it. It stores its state internally to the form, which is fair. Right, that's true. One of the things that Redux form does is it stores the values of the forms in Redux in a store value. So there's functions in Redux form where you can set values directly, like they call them detached forms. You can set values for a form from a completely different component, which sounds very familiar. He's like smirking to something we worked on a little while ago. But, you know, you can, you can say from like a component or some, from somewhere else in life, you can say, you know, I want to create an action that when the user clicks this button, I set some form value and it gets stored in the Redux form state and you can... You can save that state 
Well, you can save a state copy of the user's choices that's separate from what the form is actually initialized with. And then when the form gets initialized, it checks the other global state and merges the values, which form it can do using initial values. But sometimes it's challenging. Doesn't mean you should, though. Well, you know, it has initial values and, and should component. Uh, there's like a property on Formic, like enable, oh, it's enable reinitialization that allows it to re-render when the initial values change. Otherwise, it locks them in like a kind of like a closure. In a it, vault. It locks them in a vault and doesn't allow you to change them. Or you say enable reinitialization and it will, but the problem with enable reinitialization is if some other property comes out of something like, say, MobX or some other higher level store and changes a value that is global and the user has started typing their name, it's going to erase those values. So forms are hard. Forms gonna, are freaking hard. We're going to do a whole episode <laughs> on forms eventually. I love here. forms, but they are hard as crap. They are hard. Like people think, oh, what's so hard about them? You just like have an input and you hit submit. It's fine. But it's like... It's not how it works. That is not how a client will ever that ask you to make a form. They'll be like, how um, it works. can you put like the submit button on the bottom of the page, but like put the form over here and vignette the inputs. Can you give me a confirmed dialogue that double yeah. checks this thing over here, but then this form should only have a range of values from these and then... Yeah. When the form fails, the can you pop a modal? But then when the modal pops up, can you have an additional form so they can fix the values? And then when they submit that modal, then it sets the values so that the form gets the value they just type. It doesn't lose the other values. Like, yeah, it never is easy. It's, the forms you are know, not easy. Or, you know, dynamic validation. Dynamic oh. Val- oh, that's crazy. They do jitsu, man. I'm telling you. Dynamic validation is fun. Like when, and things like with Formic, Yup makes that really easy because Yup has internally... Like these these newer libraries like Formic and Yup and all these things, they were built to solve some of these problems. But oh man, try doing dynamic validation. These are not solvable J- problems. JQuery forms. Oh jeez. JQuery forms, man. Oh, JQuery, the good old days. Yeah, try doing dynamic <laughs> validation there. Like it, you literally had to like create a new validation object and like replace the old one with it yep. in memory and yep. then revalidate the form. Trigger revalidation manually, by the way. It's a it's a mess. It's a mess we man. we will do a whole episode on forms. So I don't know. That's. That's my spiel on Redux. I really, really love, I love all, of, I love this state management. Like I, I would say that we talked about how much I hate CSS. Um, I would say that like MobX, Redux, React Context, that's my jam. I love that. I love building and architecting like applications that have to manage state and have forms and do stuff. And, you know, when the user looks at a piece of data on a page, maybe it happens to set a value that gets submitted with the form, like, you know, type of vehicle they're looking at. Things like that are really fun. I like doing that kind of stuff. But it annoys the sh- out of me because, you know, it, it, it's confusing. That's the part that is hard. It's like, and just the data jujitsu, man, trying to get React not to do weird things, especially with global state. Oh, man. Because you're, you're trying to, you're trying to keep that, it. you're trying to keep that global state updated and accessible at all times, but also don't update my components when you update. You run into that all the yeah. time. Sometimes you're like, you know, uh, and that's what they would argue. React memos for, that's what, you know, should component update is for. That's what all these things are for. But it's just, it's hard. Like just trying to get it not to, like because you when you, the minute that you add should component update and you return true or false, like say you return false and the component never re-renders, it's essentially like the difference between reductive or like inductive or I don't know what's the term like reductive no, like um there's a term <laughs> you just for make it. that up no no there's a term there's a term for it that I don't know but like reductive um 
reasoning or whatever, deductive, not deductive. I don't, just, Reductio ad absurdum. Yeah, totally. No, but like when you basically, if you strip away all of the, um, all of like the the conditionals and you say like basically React will re-render on anything. The minute you add show component update and you return false, it re-renders on nothing and you have to add it back up. You have to basically say like, well, I do want it to render when the zip code changes and I don't want it to render when the state doesn't change. I'd, like the like the state of an animation changes. Like, well, I only want it to render if both the state and the animation change or both the state and the zip code change or whatever. You know, like you, you st- you're basically, what there is a term, you should look it up and correct me, but there's a term for like, when you reduce away all, like it's either you're adding something, you're being additive or, or reductive in the way that you You're talking about like do logic. philosophical, like logic. Oh, I'm thinking about logic. Processes. Yes. From philosophies. It's and always things. philosophy, man. That's kind of back in the day. Yeah. Well, like, we'll look it up and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. How's that? Yeah, I'm sure we'll find it. So I don't know. That's what I got. That's what I got. I like it. I like it a lot. I like all the things. Great. That's fantastic. Craig, do you have a pick for us? If you don't have one, I have one for both of us. I think the listeners will enjoy this one. Okay, what's the one for both of us? What's the one for both of us? So I don't have to do any work. I we are it. both going to be at oh, J- JSLA. JSLA. We are going to JSLA. It is on Thursday, March 28th mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, in Santa Monica to be specific, at a place called Patient Pop. We will have a link to this event in the show notes. We are not like headlining or anything like that. No, <laughs> we're, we're just going to be there. Talk. We're, just, uh, we're just interested in the community. We're Looking forward to some some good talks and meeting some people there. Yeah, we've gone to a few of them. I, I like JSLA. They're pretty cool. They um Yeah, they do they do a lot of events and they do they do have a lot of good talks. I think one of the first ones that I saw that was really good was um I think his, his name is Michael Jackson, the guy who I think the guy who created seriously, it is his name. He uh, I'm pretty sure he used to work at Yahoo and I'm pretty sure he created God. um I'm pretty sure he created React Router. I don't know. Um I could Google it. But he was there and he did a talk about React and it was like four years ago and I was like, wow. Oh, wow. It was like three years that's ago. A while. That's, that's very early on, the React. Yeah, the it was React very is. early on and he was talking about um, and like how React could, could render like a scrolling view of images that as you scroll down, the images that were off the view were going away so it never ran out of memory. Oh, wow. It was just like mind-opening. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty so cool. yeah, we're both going to be there. Uh, to listen to the talks, it's in it's at a place called Patient Pop in Santa Monica. We'll have a link. You do have to register on Eventbrite. I think the tickets are free, but you do have to register to to be able to get in. So, if you see us there, if you recognize us, I want you to shout "Dan the homie" as loud as you can across the whole place, so we know where you are. <laughs> Greg would love to take a picture with you and post on. His what if he's there account. and he's like, "You suck." That would be amazing. What if he does like? Are you kidding? Like, I would do this. <laughs> Like the like the monkey and family guy, he's like in the corner, like pointing at me. Like, I would do the thing where I would record the converse, uh, confrontation and post it on all the social medias, and we would go super viral. It'd be amazing. Totally. Tech bro beatdown featuring yes. Greg and Dan. <laughs> oh man, we'd have a million hits. Yeah. So we'll be at JSLA. Come say hello if you see us, recognize us, want to take pictures of us. Tell Greg Roy he's wrong in real life. Just be like, dude, you're wrong about Redux. Dude, you're wrong Redux about is terrible. Hooks. You don't know what you're hooks doing. Hooks are terrible. You're not competent enough to work for us. CSS is amazing. You suck. <laughs> Never work in this industry again. Uh, if you are going to do that, let me know first so I can take a video of it and, and post it on all the things. That'd be great. Huh. Yeah. So if you want to be cool like Dan the man... Dan Abramoff and tweet at us. The show is at a public function on Twitter. Greg is at Krikorsky. I am at Al Park. 
You can find this episode, all of our episodes, all of our show notes, pictures of our smiling faces on the website, publicfunction.show. Go ahead and check that out there. You totally just said you can vine it. Vine, vine is not a thing anymore. Vine. No, but you, you said can, you I can said vine you can it. find it. it. sounded like vine. Adam, I'm right. Mm-hmm. Let me know what that sounded like, guys. Yep. Also, uh, we're supposed to do this thing where we ask for people to review us on iTunes. Feel free to do that there. We don't, do I, don't, that? I don't think we have any reviews right now, but... Yeah, somebody be like, you don't know what you're doing. That'd be, that'd be great. We'll read it on the air and we'll tell you why you're wrong. That'd First of all, awesome. if you're going to give us a bad review because we said something wrong, you can please just become part of the feedback first. Yeah. Or even as you can too. say, I'm imperfect and I will admit that I don't know anything. Yeah. It, only, only do a review if you're going to leave us five stars. If you're, if you're not going to leave us five stars, you're clearly a hater. But just, just bring, that, bring that to Twitter so we can increase our engagement numbers and increase our visibility. And uh, Greg has something to do during the day. I have to work during the day. What are you talking about? You see, you'll get the notifications though. I saw you turn the notifications on on your on your app, or I will text you. That's what happened last time, because Greg's over in uh, I think he's in London, and he must have listened to us first thing in the morning, and then I had a notification when I woke up and I texted you, hmm. and you must have been working or something, and then you responded to him. So that's how that went. Yeah, I do have to work. I don't want to, but I do. Occasionally, I mean, work is hard. I work sometimes. a lot. You work a lot. It's okay. Let's not turn this into a therapy session. It's fine. Greg, see you next week. See you next week. So when Joe Rogan does it, it's clear that... Can you put that up on the screen? Can you put that on the, on the screen? It's What's clear that they are actually... Jamie, his name is Jamie. Jamie, can you put that up on the screen? I need to see that bigger. Big screen. Yeah, over there on the left. Not one no, down. No, left. Two pixels down. No, two down. To the right. Two vignette, down from there. Done. Right there. Vignetting. But what the way he does is that they, they've clearly been having a conversation before he does it. Like we just did? Yeah, exactly. Where we're talking about a bunch of stuff and then you're like, hit record. Off air. Shh, and then... They hit record when he says three, two, like right before he says three, two, one. Like somebody gave him the, gave him the one. Can you put that on the screen? Take 42. Like somebody gave him that right before we started. Yeah. Why do I have to log into Twitter? What is, what is the deal with Twitter? Why does it need me to log in? What are you doing? Twitter is uh, screwing things up these days. So if you sign up for a new Twitter account now, you have to put in a phone number. What's the problem with that? They didn't ask for a phone number for. I really hate this keyboard. You like the clicky note? I, I hate the cl- keyboard too. I don't type on mine anymore. I have my, I actually have my old magic keyboard with my old magic trackpad. Do you remember the one that I had that had, I had the little uh, thing that attached them together. So they were a nice one, nice unit. Yeah. 
I actually prefer that one because at my at my job they gave me one of the newer Magic keyboards as well. The one that's wireless. The one that's wireless. One that is uh, lightning rechargeable and has a physical switch. Uh, the keys on that one are similar. They have similar problems in that they don't have as much travel and the tops are really flat and it's hard to get a gauge on them. So I've gone back to my old keyboard, my old work keyboard, my old Mac wireless magic key, whatever it's called. I don't know. I'll have a link to it. It's called the uh, 45 edition <clears throat> Mac keyboard with silver keys. Silver. That's the, that's the name. 2014. That's it. With silver keys. Yeah, I mean, their, their naming schemes are just getting better and better. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. One thing that is actually a significant difference that you prefer the old Magic Keyboard to the new one is that um, in the arrow cluster, on the old one, all four arrows are a half height key, right? They don't take up a full, like, A letter size. So there's a little gap, like where the left arrow is, there's a little gap above it of metal, Right. And so when I'm typing, you can kind of feel around there. And if you hit metal, if you hit that gap, then you know exactly where you are on the keyboard. You know, okay, so directly below this is my left arrow. Directly to my right is my up arrow. Directly to my left is the alt. Directly above this is the shift key. Right. You can kind of index yourself with that. The new ones, the up and down arrows are still the same half height arrangement, but the left and the right are a full key size. Oh, they're like on top of each other. So they're, yeah, so they are... They're like this thing. Yeah, so they're exactly the same size as the alt key directly next to it. Who thought this was a good idea? It's a terrible idea. Who hits left and right more than up and down? I mean... I don't know. If you were playing a video game, you wouldn't... I mean, you'd use WASD, but you don't even know what you're doing. What would you do? Well, up, down, left... I mean, what are they thinking? I guess they're thinking your pinky, like... So I really missed that little gap for indexing where the hell I am on my keyboard. Also, the other thing I found with the new MacBook keyboards, both the Magic Keyboard and on the actual laptop itself, is that I kept hitting the right command and alt together at the same time somehow when I was trying to hit just one or the other one, which is a flaw in both key travel and also the amount of distance and kind of resistance that you have in the keys it's it, it's just not a good design anyway around so it makes me sad makes me sad because it's really thin the screen's gorgeous mm-hmm. yep. i still miss my function keys though i just i just really don't like accidentally grazing my fingers over the touch bar i do it every time the little one that springs out the springboard and i do it every single time yeah it's not good i've switched mine to just be the actual function keys yeah but then i was hitting f2 all the time and in intellij and it was opening up like 47 I think I told you this on the bot. I was opening like 47 versions of the documentation for IntelliJ. That's not good. There's got to like be a it. way to switch that off. I don't know. It's weird. It just seems like a, a waste of space. I don't know. Yeah. Although if you're the kind of person that uses a smaller form factor keyboard, like we've been getting into with these 60% keyboards and like 40% keyboards, then you naturally just don't have any function keys. So maybe you're just used to it. I don't know. Listeners, I don't know. Listeners, let us know. If you're using a, a really small keyboard... That is kind of a non-standard form factor or like a really small compact form factor and you use it on a Mac, let us know. We would like to know what this experience is like. 